Well, welcome all. It's good to be together this morning. If you are a guest with us, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be worshiping with you this morning. And Happy New Year. I trust the celebrations were refreshing and relaxed and we're ready to head back to it tomorrow. I know our boys head back to school, so we're kind of gearing up for that. Uh, Today we're starting a new sermon series, and if you're a fifth regular, you notice it's a little bit different than what we were originally planning, and I I just want to say a few words about that. Uh, The original plan for the year way back, you know, thinking about this in the summer was to uh, preach through the first half of Paul's letter to the Romans. So we did the first four chapters of that in the fall, and we're originally planning on doing, you know, five through eight uh, in in the spring semester, but we changed that plan. Uh, for, for multiple reasons, the, mo- the most uh, important of which was four different people, uh, unprompted, and they hadn't discussed this with one another, came to me and said, you know, we're really feeling like it, it's a season to focus on the unity of the church. Maybe we should do a series on the creeds and confessions, you know, the big things that unite us as a body. So the first, the first person who said that, I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. The second person who said it, I thought, oh, well, that's Okay, that's, that's very interesting. Maybe I need to think about that. The third person who said it, I thought, okay, Lord. <laughs> and then the fourth was, okay, I think we need to do this. Um, it wasn't quite that simple, right? But th- there was something to that. Um, so we're, we're doing a series called The Essentials. It's, it's based on some of the big overarching beliefs of the Christian faith that we can legitimately say, uh, most all Christians everywhere believe. You know, there, there are nuanced conversations in each of these categories, and, and largely that's probably how we came to get denominations and such. But big picture, this is what every Christian everywhere believes. You know, these, 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 these big things. Uh, so we're, we're focusing on, on those things this year for a couple reasons. First, as we well know, there is dis, disunity and conflict everywhere in our national politics. And it's an election year. Granted, that's 10 months away. But if the last election cycle was any cue, that's going to be really hard for some people. Not for everybody. You might be in the place of thinking that it might be silly if it's hard for some people. I mean, but last time I experienced the presidential election cycle as bringing a lot of conflict and division, not just in our country, but in our church. I mean, we are a functionally diverse body politically. And personally, I celebrate that because what safer context to have authentic conversations than in, in the church, that kind of thing. But that, that's going to be a big thing this year. You know, and as followers of Jesus, we believe that we are not primarily Democrats or Republicans or some other political something. We are primarily Christians. Right? We, f- we follow Jesus, and we succeed when we maintain loving unity in the church for the purpose of bearing witness to Jesus to a lost and broken world that is so in need of God's love. That's success as Christians, right? The second reason we're doing this series right now has to do with tension in our denomination. And this is something that some of us know a little bit about and many of us might not know anything about, but the Reformed Church in America, like many denominations in our country, uh, has has been approaching the conversation of human sexuality. And our denomination now finds itself in a very pivotal moment in its history uh, where at our next general synod meeting, that's a big annual kind of gathering the denomination has every June, at our next general synod meeting, decisions will be made that will impact our whole denomination and will lead to significant change. So the question is no longer, 
will there be change or maybe this will, something big is going to change in our denomination come June. Now, some of us in this room are, are very much in, in step with all the details of that. Some of us maybe could care less. Some of us are thinking, well, what does that mean for me? As a, as a leadership team, the administrative board here has, has thought that it's very important for at least us to be aware of that conversation and to have ways to kind of engage it. So in the next coming six months, there'll be ways to do that. At the end of January, there'll be a town hall meeting that anyone who is in the orbit of fifth is welcome to, uh, to attend. We'll unpack some of the denominational stuff there. Starting on February 2nd, I'll be facilitating a Sunday seminar on human sexuality that will be at least a six-week kind of thing. Uh, so we'll, we'll have opportunity to study and discuss that a bit more. Uh, so you can, you can look for more information about those things. Uh, and finally, we're going to pray. This is one of our primary values. We're going to pray for the Lord's guidance in all of this to help us as a local church, to help our denomination, to help our country, to help the church of Jesus around the world that our witness be bright and clear to what the Lord has done. Uh, so, Happy New Year. There's a lot going on. Uh, this year, right? Uh, But we need not be afraid. The Lord Jesus is alive right now. And he desires a healthy, vibrant, united church as his bride. And that is what we're going to do. That is who we're going to be. So the essentials, what are those things that unite all Christians everywhere? Uh, you know, the, the first essential we're going to consider is uh, scripture. I kind of avoided using the word doctrine in this because who wants to go to a sermon that has the word doctrine in it? This, this is really the doctrine of the word of God, the, co- the core beliefs that Christians have with regard to scripture. So let's read a few passages of, of scripture that, that guide us in that. I'll read them for us today. The first is from 2 Timothy, uh, starting at, where did I start? Verse 14, I think, is what I said, right? Yeah. Let's start there. Uh, This is uh, a letter from Paul to his young uh, disciple, Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then this from Second uh, Peter, verses 19 through 21. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And finally, we would be remiss to not read Psalm 1 if we're thinking about Scripture, the first three verses here. Uh, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight 
is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Friends, indeed, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So our, our uh, church family here knows my personal story uh, that I wasn't raised in the church and came to faith in Jesus later on in life. Uh, and because of that, I remember vividly what it's like to be an outsider, uh, to be a person on the outside of Christianity looking in as one who was not a Christian, who did not consider himself a follower of Jesus. When I was in that place and I heard people talk about the Bible as God's word, I thought what they meant was that the Bible is a religious book. That, that's what I heard when I heard Christians say that. And, and as my thinking went at the time, religious books taught religious things that religious people found helpful, but because I was not a religious person, I had no need for religious books. Little did I know that Christians actually meant something quite different than just the Bible's a religious book when they said the Bible is God's word. So today we're going to think about that, what Christians believe about the Bible or, or what we call scripture. Now this is just one message, so there's no way to cover everything that Christians believe about scripture. I mean, that, that's huge. Uh, nor can we cover every question someone might bring to the Bible. So in, in the past, we've done kind of sermon series on tough questions, you know, hard questions like, is the Bible reliable? How did the canon of scripture come together? This is not going to answer those. Uh, but as we dive into this, I do want to talk about one kind of significant objection to scripture that I know I experienced, and that is, um, well, it's, it's a circular argument, I mean, Christians say they believe the Bible is the word of God because the Bible says it's the word of God. Like, how can that be solid belief, right? Christians do say this. We believe the Bible is God's word because it claims to be that, and we believe its claims because it's the word of God. Just, you can keep going round and round, right? So as an outsider looking in, that made absolutely no sense. I so remember asking a good friend of mine in college. I knew him in high school, too. We went to the same college. I knew he was a Christian. He tried to lead me to Christ previously, and I just wanted to have nothing to do with it. So I asked Chuck, why do you believe the Bible is God's word? And he said, because it says so. That was so thoroughly unsatisfying. (laughs) I was hoping for like a more solid answer, you know? There is a more solid answer. There really is. We don't have to live just, well, it's just a circular thing, right? My my path to believing that the Bible was something more than a religious book followed these steps. When I was a freshman in college, I picked up the New Testament. I'd never read the Bible, thought I should because a lot of people found it meaningful. I read through the entire New Testament my freshman year and took absolutely no spiritual meaning from it whatsoever. The biggest thing I learned was that the phrase doubting Thomas was a biblical reference. I, I did not know that. And, and we should, it is funny, but we shouldn't laugh at people who don't know that, right? Uh, the whole lot of people in the world have no concept that those two things go together. Um, 
But so I learned that, right? So yeah, this is good. Over the next four years, I came to understand the historical claim of the Bible that Jesus was raised from the dead physically in his body, not just a metaphorical or philosophical claim, that the Bible was actually saying something historical has happened on the timeline of history that is a big deal and it matters for everybody everywhere. I came to understand that that was the claim. Next, I explored that claim, became convinced that it happened, realized I'd been doing a whole lot of assuming about what's going on in this world, and I asked God to help me. And when I say I asked God to help me, what I mean was there was a breaking within me, a breaking of my pride, a breaking of my completely unfounded self-confidence to figure out what's going on in this world to the point where I cried out to God to help. Tears, kneeling by my little ratty uh, used couch I had in college. Then I picked up the Bible again and it was completely different. Completely different. Not just kind of different completely different. Like the power of the sun didn't hold a candle in comparison to this. Uh, I, I was experiencing the word, capital W, word of God through scripture and I felt the power of it. I think I experienced this verse. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, if you're reading that for the first time and actually believing it for the first time, there's power. And and I also realized that no amount of logical argument or rational persuasion provided by my friend Chuck would have convinced me of this. I mean, John Calvin agrees with that assessment. He said, those who wish to prove to unbelievers that scripture is the word of God are acting foolishly, for only by faith can this be known. I have experienced that. So Christians do not believe the Bible is the word of God simply because the Bible says so. We believe the Bible is the word of God because of the inner witness of the Holy Spirit in our hearts about the Bible. Now I get if you're not there yet, if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, this sounds a little weird, but but hang with me. Christians over the ages have tried to articulate this. This is in one of our big standards of unity, the Belgic Confession. The Belgic Confession says it this way, and we believe without a doubt all things contained in Scripture, not so much because the church receives and approves them as such, but above all, because the Holy Spirit testifies in our hearts that they are from God, and also because they prove themselves to be from God. That's the why. That's the why Christians believe the Bible is the word of God. It's not simply because the Bible says so. It's because of what happens as we experience the scripture. Now I get if you haven't haven't had that experience, it's difficult to understand. 
But this is the, the consistent testimony of Christians across the ages, that they see anew. They have a new experience with the Bible. Because see, it's only by God illuminating and convincing us inwardly by the Holy Spirit that we know that the Bible is God's word. So this is how Christians get to the place of believing that the Bible is God's word. Uh, Therefore, we believe that the Bible contains God's revelation to us. We believe it's inspired by God, and therefore we believe it's authoritative. So that's three-point sermon, right? Those are the three things. Revelation, inspiration, authoritative. So Christians believe the Bible to be God's revelation to human beings. There's a basic distinction. If, if If you consider philosophy, if you consider any religion... You, you could very simply say that there are two big categories. One category that depends on a human being's own ability to figure it out. This would be largely called rationalism. And the other category, which says human beings can't possibly figure this out on our own, and this would uh, trust in revelation. So Christians are in the revelation camp. We're, we're with those people that say, look, if, if anything Uh, can be known about God in this world. If any human being anywhere gains any knowledge of God at all, it will be because God has revealed it to us, not because we've figured it out. Revelation. Revelation in Christian understanding exists in two forms, general revelation and specific revelation. Psalm 19 talks about general revelation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. So Christians understand that we can know something about God by simply going outside and looking up or simply by turning your eyes and looking at the person next to you and slowing down and actually looking with curious eyes at the amazing living creature sitting next to you that everything is working in us. Eyes moving back and forth. Yeah, blows you away, right? General revelation. Then there's specific revelation. Specific revelation is saving revelation from God. It's, it's, it's how we come to know God's heart for people and the world, that God is Trinity, that Jesus came to save. You know, Jesus himself is God's most specific revelation. The Bible says that. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's straight from the scriptures. I remember uh, our Christmas celebration, right? We celebrate the incarnation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. This is capital W word. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The Word If we want to know what God's saying to us, what God is speaking to us, we look at Jesus. Scripture, then, is the small W word of God that points to the capital W word of God. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, the small W word of God, Scripture, conveys to us the capital W word of God, God's communication to us, to to humanity through Jesus or whatever other means God might want to use. Thus, the Bible is part of God's special revelation to us. Now, now this is important. The Bible itself is not the revelation. Track with me now. The Bible as a book is not the revelation itself. Only when the Bible is illumined by the Holy Spirit does it become revelation to the believer. No book reveals God. 
only the Holy Spirit reveals God. That's really important. Some people tend to put the Bible on a pedestal too high. But the Holy Spirit uses the Bible like no other book because the writings of the Bible were inspired by God. So we've got revelation, and then next we've got inspiration. Christians believe the Bible to be inspired by God. What, what exactly do we mean by this? Look, look at one of the verses we read this morning. All scripture is God-breathed. That word in the original language is a very interesting word. The, the word translated God-breathed. It's a compound word, so this translation gets it right. The word is actually theonoustos. So theo, at the beginning, theos, God, right? Pneuma, spirit, at the back end. So the word is really God-spirit. God breathed. The Holy Spirit is sometimes referred to as the breath of God, right? So what, 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 what the Bible is really saying here is that all scripture is God-inspirited. It's in, inspirited by God. It's been breathed out by God, uh, inspired by God. And Christians believe that God inspired the writing of the scriptures by the Holy Spirit and Christians believe that God must inspire the reading of the scriptures for them to have any real meaning to us. Said Martin Luther, where the Holy Spirit openeth not the scriptures, it is not understood. We need the Holy Spirit to understand. We need uh, illumination when we come to the Bible. By the way, that's why we pray for that every Sunday before the sermon. We ask God to pour out the spirit on us that we might understand the word because we know we can't do it on our own. So on the front end, when the scriptures were written, we believe that the authors of the Bible spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's, there's a whole lot of different Christian thinking about exactly what's meant by this, but it, it seems very clear from the scriptures that there was a dual authorship. It's not that God just said, hey, write this, blah, 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 blah. A human being was involved, so it wasn't all divine, nor was it all human. This wasn't just human beings writing down ideas they had about God. The Christians believe that God inspired the writing of Scripture through human authors. So this means that God was an author of the Scriptures, and that, that's what makes this book, the Bible that is, distinct from any other book. So God's revelation to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and as such, God is one of the authors. That's why we believe the Bible to be authoritative, authoritative, because we know one of the authors. God authored it. So Christians believe the Bible is authoritative for what to believe and how to live. Uh, what that means is if we're reading the Bible and we catch a discrepancy between our life and what we see in the scripture, if we catch a discrepancy between what we see happening in the world and what's in the Bible, it's not the Bible that needs to change. It's us. We need to change and align ourselves with the authoritative word of God. See, when, when new members are received into the church, we always ask this question. Do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the word of God and our only standard for faith and for life? 
You know, Christians have been asking this for centuries. Uh, and it's a very basic thing. Do we believe that the Bible is our, our rule, you know, our, our, our authoritative center? And this was a primary teaching of the Reformation. They, they said it this way, reformed and always reforming according to the word of God. What that means is nobody's got it figured out. As Christians, we simply keep returning to scripture, praying and asking God, what do I need to hear from you? How do I need to change my thinking? How do I need to change to be more in line with, with you and, and what you're saying here? Uh, thus, the second part of that scripture about being God-breathed, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Those, those big four things, teaching is pretty clear. That, that's, uh, it's suitable for instruction. Rebuking, this means persuading or, or bringing a person to conviction or giving a reproof. That's what that word uh, rebuking means as, as we read that. Correcting, this refers to setting right a wrong. The, this is a compound word also. The second half of the word is orthosis. So our orthopedic physicians are very familiar with this. This is setting right a primary structural element which is broken so that the whole thing can be strong again. Scripture is suitable for that. And finally, training in righteousness, not just teaching now, but equipping. Training, equipping for for how to live as a follower of Jesus in the world. The Bible is suitable for all of those things. Theologians talk about uh, how how Scripture is the the primary uh, piece in our life. They talk about the primacy of Scripture, meaning the Bible takes first position. Scripture is over the church. Scripture is over me and over you. Scripture is over any other religious experience. Scripture is over any miraculous sign or wonder we might experience. Scripture is over culture. Scripture takes the first spot because it points to the one who is above all. Whenever we have a question about what to believe or how to live, we look to the Scripture for the purpose of submitting ourselves to the God of the Scriptures who is good and loving and kind and unbelievably self-giving. This is the message of the gospel. Are there any pilots in the room? Would you raise your hand if you've... Anybody got a pilot's license? Yeah, okay. One, one, one. When you learn to fly, you learn about VFR, visual flight rules. And most early pilots only ever reach that certification, which means they can only fly an airplane when they can see where they're going. And there are rules. You have to stay this this far away from clouds, this far below them. You need to be able to see things when you fly. That's because when you fly an airplane into a cloud, uh, it it can become a bit like reading a book in the backseat of a van, where your head's down, your eyes are telling you one thing, but your inner ear is telling you something else. Your senses get all mixed around and messed up, and suddenly you have no idea what direction you're going. You don't know if you're, this is up or down. You, you can't tell anymore, and you can't see. So when a pilot advances, the next certification they go for is an instrument rating, which means you're learning to fly the airplane simply by looking at the instrument panel. And this requires, rather, a quantum leap in self-discipline. This is why most pilots don't do it. Because you have to train yourself to disregard all of your senses and look 
only at the instrument panel. In fact, pilots will train in something they call a hood. And this is the easy way to learn it because it removes the input from all of your senses. So you're just looking at the, at the instruments. So pilots learn. There's a thing called an artificial horizon. It tells you if the plane's banking this way or that way. Pilots learn. If you look at the artificial horizon, it's telling you that you're banking right at 45 degrees. No matter what you think, you might think you're flying straight and level. No matter what you think, you better bank left and level the wings or you're going to crater. I love the first three sentences of Dallas Willard's book, The Divine Conspiracy. Recently, a pilot was practicing high-speed maneuvers in a jet fighter. She turned the controls for what she thought was a steep ascent and flew straight into the ground. She was unaware that she had been flying upside down. You know this. I know this. I experience most of life as a fog. I don't know about you. There are low-hanging clouds. A whole lot of the time, we can't see where we're going, and sometimes we don't know which way's up. In those times, as Christians, we believe that we look at the Scriptures. And no matter what our senses are telling us, we believe the scriptures and we behave accordingly. It's authoritative. It, it's a bit back to the, the Peter and Jesus relationship. Do you remember Jesus was teaching a crowd in a boat, Peter's boat, and after he was done teaching, he said to Peter, hey, put, let's go out and put down the nets. And Peter said, wait, we just fished all night. We're professional fishermen. But his conclusion, Remember? Because you say so, Lord, I will. It's a submission of the will to the word of God. That's what we believe about scripture. Scripture is the word of God. It's God's special revelation to us. It's inspired by God and it's authoritative. This essential is a pillar of the Christian faith and shapes all the rest of our understanding of the faith. You know, believing this is not a duty, but a gift, really a blessing. It, it seems right to end a message on scripture with the promised blessing of Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prospers. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me, would you? Lord, we bless you for your word. Uh, help us fix our eyes on you, Jesus, by looking to scripture all the time and especially in those times when we don't know which way is up. Pour out your spirit on us and help us. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.